0: In just a couple of weeks, we will celebrate the Fourth of July. And uh, Independence Day, or Fourth of July, as um, it's called, we celebrate when our country declared itself to be a free nation back in 1776. And you'll likely recognize these words that are captured in the Declaration of Independence, where it says, We hold these truths to be self evident. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is somewhat ingrained in us to have certain rights. We cling to these rights and oftentimes even are willing to fight for these rights. And we've all, in certain ways, crafted our own little kingdoms. We have created our own rules and regulations within our kingdoms. I need coffee in the morning, that is one of the rules. I need a certain amount of free time, I need a certain level of quietness, I need dessert. There must be meat in my house. Of course, rules from one household to another differ, and one kingdom to another. In this room we have 150 or so people, and so we have about 150 kingdoms represented in this room. And your rules are different than my rules, and my rules are different than your rules. And what we have found in the course of creating our own little kingdoms is that there are are certain freedoms and liberties that we have established in our kingdoms, often when these liberties or freedoms that we have established in our own kingdoms are questioned, we are ready for a fight. Don't tell me that I can't. Don't tell me that I shouldn't. We have our rules. In our passage in Romans 14, God is telling us That in His kingdom, we need to consider others and their well-being even with matters that we have been given freedom to enjoy. We are to consider others and their well-being even with matters that we have been given freedom to enjoy. God has welcomed us into His kingdom. He is our Lord or our Master. He is our Judge. He is our Redeeming Savior and Sustainer. And because we have been welcomed into His kingdom, He has taken away our striving and anxiety. We don't need to give an account of ourselves to anyone but to Him alone. We give an account to Him. That's what this passage has told us. In the second half of the chapter, which we'll cover this morning, and it will not take us a tremendous amount of time, so you don't have to quake in your seats, we will be encouraged to care about one another's needs more than our own rights. Let's take a look. Starting in verse 13, we'll read right to the end of the chapter. Romans 14, starting in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone who makes another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one, or blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Well, that's a lengthy passage. um, But we're going to try to break it down nice and easily for us to understand into bite-sized pieces won't be meat. the first concept that he brings up is stop judging one another <laughs> stop judging one another he says at the beginning of verse 13 therefore let us not pass judgment on one another was the next two words any longer. any longer don't do it any longer in other words you're doing this well it's natural <laughs> it's natural For us to judge one another. Um, Whether you like it or not, you are a critical person. You might be less critical than the next person, or you might be more critical than the next person, but one way or another, you are a critic. You think, well, my beliefs are better than your beliefs, my standards are better than your standards, what I like is better than what you like. The reason that you feel that way is that you've made decisions based upon what you believe. So like you think that steak is better than chicken. So you buy steak if you can afford it. There's a reason why you do it. You think it's better. Maybe you're not one of those. Maybe you like fish. Maybe you don't eat any kind of meat at all and you just eat vegetables. It's the decision you've made. So you think this is the best decision, at least the best decision for you. I'll really subscribe to you when you say this is the best decision you (laughs) and I'll say have at it enjoy your vegetables or if you're the other enjoy your steak whatever it is that's fine that's your choice whatever is best for you so long as whatever it is that you're deciding is something that God doesn't say directly don't do this for instance um, clearly the Bible says don't kill one another yes anyone disagree let the record show that no one says killing one another is a good, acceptable practice. That is unclean. Killing one another is unclean. That that is an established fact. So what he's not saying in this passage is live however you feel. Whatever you believe is right is right. No big deal. What he's saying is if God doesn't directly prohibit it, don't call it sin. Right? So that's a pretty good thing. He says... Stop judging one another. There is only one judge. He is God. We will all stand accountable to Him. And Therefore, listen to this. I like the way I phrased this, so I'm going to say it. We have been granted freedom from passing judgment on one another. In my household, I have five children. There's stage one children and stage two children. The stage one children are older, obviously. Stage two children are younger. And so stage two, uh, stage one children, earlier in my life, older kids, they've already been trained, and now they sometimes will take the liberty of parenting. And so I try to say, listen, I want to set you free. You don't have to worry about it. He's not your problem. She's not your problem. If we put them under your care, they become your problem and we entrust to you the authority that is associated with watching them and they're required to obey you. In other scenarios, where we're standing right here, I give you freedom to just leave them alone. I think it's really wise counsel. And I think it should be very helpful to them. It isn't always... In in essence, that's exactly what God, through Paul, is doing here. I want to give you some freedom. Stop looking at other people and wondering what their problem is. You have enough problems of your own. Just, why don't you go on and live out your life and stop worrying about how other people are making decisions about their life. Now, that's true so far as the situations are gray areas. And there are lots of gray areas, right? And we'll talk about some of them a little later. Again, when we come to the place where someone is in direct violation of the, the a clear uh, commandment of God, for instance, don't take someone else's wife to be yours. Anyone here disagree that that's a violation and an unclean practice. All right, we've got a unanimous decision again. No one thinks that adultery is okay. Good. If someone is involved in adultery, we then have a responsibility as believers to go to them and say, "Listen, my friend, this is you're harming yourself, you're harming your family, you're harming their family. This is sin. This is an affront to God's character. You're doing lots of damage." We bring to them the truth so that they can be repentant and correcting. So we're not talking about those things that are glaringly sinful, directly communicated by God. We're talking about the things that are gray areas. Stop judging one another. It's going to be okay. So what Paul does, and it's very nifty, and we don't notice it in our English Bibles, is he uses a play on words. He says, Stop passing judgment on one another. But rather, if you want to judge, judge this. This is what it actually says in the Greek. If you want to judge, he doesn't say if you want to." but he says, "But rather judge this." That's what we have in our English. This is, "But rather decide. Here's your judgment. You want to judge something, judge this. Decide this. Don't harm your brother. Want to make a judgment? Don't harm your brother. That's what he says at the, end, uh, at the second part of verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So we're going to categorize that as don't harm your brother. And this actually covers several of the verses and he says it in different ways. He's going to talk about different ways in which we harm one another in these verses. Don't cause your brother to stumble in verse 13. To, to trip, to fall, or to be hindered, to be withheld. Don't do anything in your practices and in your speech to them in your way of dealing with them that would cause a person to fall into sin. Well, the context of this is talking about different kinds of meat and drink and earlier in the context about how a person worships on a Sunday um, or maybe they... Feel that Saturday is the day. Remember, he says, you know, one person says it's this day, another person says it's that day. One person's trying to honor the Lord with this, another person's trying to honor the Lord with that. Rather than worrying about that, um, don't cause each other to stumble. And then he goes on to give us some reason, reasoning. So a logical question is, what if I'm just trying to liberate them? What if they're struggling with something? What if they really feel something is a biblical truth and they're wrong in my estimation? What then? Well, give them the truth. Tell them the truth. But don't bend their arm. Tell them the truth and let the Lord work. Here's what can happen if you find one of these gray areas that someone is in bondage to and you see it as bondage because you have been given liberty. You see them in bondage, you say, "All right, I want to tell you what God's word says about this. Let's go through this line upon line. We're going to work our way right through it so you can understand that this gray area, gray area X, we'll call it, this gray area X is fine for you to do. What if at the end of that excellent exposition that you give to them and that great explanation, you've proven your point ten times over, they still feel troubled. What do you do? Well, of course, because you're a a very diligent person. You're going to browbeat them until they agree with you. What is the possible problem? Look down at verses 22 and 23. It says, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Stop right there. Could you take that that little phrase and do a lot of misteaching with it? Yes, right? Don't tell your neighbor about Jesus. That's your faith. Keep it to yourself. Is that what Paul is saying here? No. Is he also saying, don't live out your liberty in this world? Could you int- interpret it that way? You could. You'd be ripping it out of its context. You could say, listen, you, you know, you, you see that you have liberty to do that, but don't ever do it. Keep it to yourself. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, after you've communicated the truth and your brother is still conflicted, leave them alone. Listen to what he says now in the rest of this passage. It is Verse 22, "...the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Here's the shorthand of this. You believe that eating meat is fine. I don't think there's anyone in here that, that falls into the category that you think that it is ungodly because of the Mosaic law. I don't think that we're in that situation. But let's just we're going to go with it just to keep the, the illustration of the text going. You think, you know, eating meat is fine but you have come into contact with this person that says eating meat would make me sin and you tell them all the reasons, you give them all the biblical data and at the end of that discussion they still feel wounded to eat. They, I can't eat that meat. But you say, no, it's, it's unbiblical for you to not eat meat. We're going out to the steak restaurant right now and I'm going to order you the best piece of meat you've ever had. It's delicious. Filet mignon. And it's going to be perfectly cooked by Fleming Steakhouse. So whichever one is your, you know, steakhouse of choice, it's going to be perfect. And then you like, like, actually cut it up and you feed it to them, like you do your little kids. For you to eat the meat is fine. For you to make them eat the meat, there they are. Even though eating meat is perfectly not sinful, you made them sin because they're violating what they believe. Coming, bring this back to, to verse thirteen. Decide this, never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of your brother. Don't harm your brother because you want them to believe exactly what you believe. It is so natural for us, we believe very, whatever it is we believe, we believe very strongly. And we don't want there to be variation. We don't want your belief to be different than my belief because that would kind of make me feel like, well, you don't think that my belief is good enough. We're very stressful people. My view of the end times is the right end, end view, time, you know, view of the end times. And yours is wrong. And if you don't agree with me, I want to tell you until we come to the conclusion that Jesus is coming in you know, 2023 at 12 o'clock on a Tuesday. We've got it all figured out. And I know exactly what's going to happen after that. Seven years. It's going to go exactly like this. No variation. I know all the details. And I want you to agree with me. Because if you don't, I'm going to feel like I haven't really explained myself very well. Listen, we don't need a whole bunch of people that believe exactly the same thing about exactly every topic and dress exactly the same and speak exactly the same and listen exactly the same music, do all the exact same things. That's, that's called a cult. This is not who we are. God has freed us from cultishness we found salvation in Christ, we can disagree with one another on gray areas. Not everything's a gray area. There are a lot of thus saith the Lord areas. For those things, those are hills that are worth dying on. Not killing someone for. Worth dying on. Taking the hurt ourselves as we tell people of the glorious truths that are clearly articulated in the Scriptures. Don't harm your brother. Don't cause your brother to stumble. We don't want to make our brother under bondage. They cannot live out their lives based upon our view of liberty. Right? Your liberty is the liberty granted to you from God, from the Scriptures, and from the Spirit. Hopefully. Hopefully you're not taking your own liberties, but liberties that God has granted to you. Those liberties need to come from God to your brother and sister in Christ. They can't operate out of your set of liberties. Don't harm your brother. Don't grieve your brother in verse 15. Look at what it says. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. The, the word there, grieve, is to throw into sorrow. <laughs> it's like, I don't care. What anyone else says, I'm plowing, and if you are carnage on my way to getting what I want and expressing my view, I don't care if you fall by the wayside. Don't grieve your brother. Don't throw him into sorrow because you want him to agree with you about every, second, uh, every single thing. It's, it's to don't make one another uneasy. The example in this passage is about meat. Perhaps it was meat offered to idols and then sold at a discounted price. Or maybe another element of it was they believed in the Mosaic Law restrictions with regard to clean and unclean animals. We know from Scripture about both of those scenarios that neither of these should keep a person from eating meat. The Mosaic Law code was an, uh, was fulfilled in Christ and God actually went to Peter in Acts chapter 10 and put a, a sheet vision for him and said, listen, Peter... Rise up, kill and eat these things. And Peter's like, no, not happening. I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. And God says, what I've called clean, don't you dare call unclean. So the Mosaic Law, restrictions with regard to meat, have been set aside because Christ has fulfilled all of those. Well, how about the the meat offered to an idol and then sold at a discounted price? Well, that could wound someone's conscience, right? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 Paul told the Corinthians that the idol is nothing. So what difference what difference does it make if someone offered this piece of meat to that non entity? It doesn't make any difference. Okay, so the law restrictions with regard to meat are by the wayside. Again, I'm pretty sure that none of us sit in the scenario we were under bondage with regard to meat. Maybe you don't eat meat, and that's fine. That's up to you. You're missing out, but do what you need to do. (laughs) But I don't think you think because I eat meat that I'm sinning. I don't think that that's a common thing today. If I'm wrong, we can have a conversation later and be glad to talk with you and still defer to your liberty, to your own conscience. But I think that there might be some other ways that we can transfer these principles, and these are just some... Some things, I've been wrestling with this for years, trying to figure out what really good illustrations translate in the meat conversation. So here you go. I grew up hearing that playing cards was sinful because it was associated with casinos. I grew up hearing that going to a movie theater was sinful because it would be um, funding Hollywood, and that's sinful, I grew up hearing that mu- the certain kinds of music, styles of music, were sinful. All right, so that's that's the perspective that I grew up with. Um, there are a lot of things that are out of bounds and things that are sinful in those areas. Now I'm sure uh, that among us sitting in this room, there are vast amount of different views on the wisdom of giving money to the Hollywood movie industry. I actually ran into this in my own home yesterday as I was talking with my wife about going to watch a particular movie. All right, this is a good little movie. Let's go watch it. And we looked it up and looked off the information. I said, you know, well, this, that, and the other thing. We had this little conversation. And she said, well, I don't think that we want to support that. I said, okay, that's fine. I said, this actually fits really well into our discussion for, for me offered to idols tomorrow. Um, it, I don't want to violate your conscience about providing money to this entity so that they can be, feel good about their movie that's putting off variant views about sexuality. So we made a decision based upon liberty and caring for brothers and sisters in Christ based upon this very thing. And I think we can do that together. Some people think going to the movies is just sinful. Other people aren't bound to that. You know what? I can let you not go to the movies. And you can let me go. And we'll all stand accountable before the Lord. I don't think that it's that big of a deal. And I think we can have differences on how we see that. The same thing is true about music. Different styles of music. Um, You know, when I was a, a, a young person... Contemporary Christian music was like anathema. You know, If you're listening to contemporary Christian music, you're sinning, and that's bad. And that's how I understood it. And that's not where I stand anymore. I don't believe that that's correct. You might completely disagree with me, and that's fine. And you know what I would do if you came to my house? I would not play any music. That would be offensive to you. Because you matter more than music. And you know what? The same should go in the other direction. That doesn't mean if I go to your house, you have to put on music that I like that would violate your conscience. No, that's the the wrong way. What we do is we want to make sure that we don't cause one another to stumble, to be sorrowful, or to be conflicted in our conscience. Why? Because God's kingdom isn't about thus and so and so and thus that is not actually written. Man-made laws, man-made rules, conjecture from passages, principles derived from experience or tradition. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is not eating and drinking. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in just a moment. I don't want to provide an occasion for frustration or violation of someone else's conscience because at the end of verse 15, or actually the middle of verse 15, it says, to do that, to grieve my, my brother by what I eat or what I do, it means I'm no longer walking in love. That's a violation of the kingdom, isn't it? Who's the God of the kingdom? Your heavenly Father. Who is the master of the kingdom? Your savior, Jesus Christ. What is the spirit of the kingdom? The Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And what does he produce? Love, joy, peace. Long-suffering means patient endurance with one another. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I want to love my brother and sister in Christ, and so do you. So there are going to be times that we're going to disagree about gray areas. When we disagree about those gray areas, we'll defer to one another. That doesn't mean we have to say, I have no opinion. doesn't mean we can't talk about it. doesn't mean we can't say, oh, well, what does God's word say about it and interact. But at the same time, I'm not going to then say, now, you agree with me now, don't you? <laughs> no, just let the Lord deal with it. That's, that's his business. He's the Lord of the kingdom. And then he, what's interesting is he says... Do not destroy your brother. Look at the end of verse 15. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. I don't think that the context supports the concept of destruction. The word can be translated destruction, and most of the time it's translated destruction. It's apolumi. Luo is the great Greek word. It's used for all of the well, oh, forget it. Destruction. Focus, Robert. Focus. Destruction is the concept. But the opposite of destruction in this concept is to be at peace and build one another up. So, So he's not saying either blow them up or build them up. He's saying don't pull them down. Don't pull them down. Don't pull them back. Don't cause them to trip. He's not saying... Like as if you could take someone out of salvation. Destroy. You can't kill someone. We're not talking about that either. He's saying don't hold them back in their walk with God by injecting your liberties upon them. Don't destroy them. The contrast is that of building up. Now, Paul does a similar thing because we don't want our our brothers and sisters to be twisted inside out. Look at verse 16. He says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. What what good is he talking about? He's talking about liberties that we've received. Don't let that which is good, that you've experienced the good hand of God in freeing you from being in bondage to certain things, don't take that which is good and should be enjoyed and turn it into evil. How would we turn it into evil? By causing someone who has not arrived at that liberty to operate based upon the freedom that you've been given. You take them and now now you're causing them to stumble and trip. You're causing them to be sorrowful. You are holding them back in their spiritual Christian walk because you want them to think exactly the way you think right now. And the Lord's the one that taught you that. The Lord's the one that gave you that freedom. Don't take that freedom that's good and turn it into evil by ensuring someone else operates in your freedom. Does that make sense? You see what, he, what He's telling us in this passage is not to harm our brother. God has given us freedom. We're not to use that freedom to harm people, but to love one another. That's exactly what He says in Galatians 5. This is on the screen for you. Galatians 5.13 It says... For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So God has given us freedom so that we'll help one another and love and care for one another. So he's making this point throughout this text. Now he moves from not causing a stumbling, not grieving, not destroying your brother, and he does something different in verse 20. Look down at verse 20 he says, do not for the sake of food destroy, will you say the rest of it with me? The work of God. So now he moves from the singular person, the brother, to the church corporately. And again, the word destroy is not like actually blow it up and make it inoperable. He's talking about the fact, don't cause the church to be held back by Insisting on certain freedoms to the neglect of the work of God. God purchased the church with His own blood, Jesus' blood. Don't don't care so much about your opinion that you're willing to harm God's work. When we harm God's people, we're harming His church. We need to see the bigger picture when we're making choices about what we lead others into. Back in verse 15, Paul provides a great motivator for loving our brothers and sisters enough to give up our own freedoms to care for them. He calls them the one for whom Christ died. The one for whom Christ died. One commentator made this statement, and it's still sitting in my brain, and it's going to be on the screen for you to enjoy as well. Did Christ love him, our brother, enough to die for him? And shall we not love him enough to refrain from wounding his conscience? So, this passage is talking about not judging one another, not causing struggles and, and consternation in the heart of someone else about questionable items. In questionable items, you've been given freedom, enjoy them, do it. But don't make other people feel as though they need to live in your liberty. It's doing harm to them and then it's harming the church. So now we transition from the don't do this part. Don't harm your brother. Don't judge your brother. To the more positive side. like the, Really the meat of this, which is God's kingdom brings benefits, not harm. God's kingdom brings benefits, not harm. If you want to reword it in your own mind, and make this kind of more of a an instruction you could say be a channel of the benefits of God's kingdom. Look again at verses 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. The kingdom into which you and I have been saved is not about eating and drinking or doing whatever you please. It's a kingdom that is uh, constantly producing fruit. It's God's kingdom. He is the ruler. He is the master of this kingdom. He is the judge. And He's the one who produces fruit. I made inference to this moments ago. In God's kingdom Jesus sits on the throne as the head, right? He's the head of the church. Jesus sits as the head of this kingdom. And the Holy Spirit resides in our hearts. And and what does he produce? In this text in verse 17, he produces righteousness, doing the right thing, right? He produces peace. That means not like constantly looking for someone to feud with. Not constantly trying to Persuade someone to, to do everything the way I do it. Peace. Who brings peace? He brings peace. In, 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 in being a peacemaker, we're constantly wanting to point people to the one who produces peace. You want peace? It comes from Him. He's, he is the prince of peace. His peace can govern our hearts. And He produces joy. Constantly deliberating. Over every difference of opinion. Some people find joy in that. Most people are turned off by it. I don't know about you, but I get really weary of people having to kibitz about every little thing. That does not bring me joy. What brings me joy? Seeing the love and light of Christ in people. Seeing people rejoice in a God who has saved them. like They know themselves. And if they, they, they don't find themselves to be really the, the most wonderful slice of bread. They don't find themselves to be the most glorious being that's ever walked the face of the earth. We've seen... We've seen our own sin and our own anger and our own covetousness and our own lust and our own bitterness. We've seen it enough. We like we we, we kind of get fed up with ourselves. And yet we know God loves us, his word declares it to us, and his spirit dwells within us, reminding us that we have an Abba Father. The joy that results from knowing that a sinner like me has been redeemed because of a great God, not because of a great activity on my part, sets me free and gives me joy. And so we come and we sing about God's mercies anew. We sing about the fact that, that God um, has, has offered salvation and He's given us mercy and grace that, that we could never earn. And it gives us joy. This comes from the Spirit. And this is an element of God's kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are things that the Spirit produces. And it says, The people that live this way, live in light of the kingdom, verse 18, they thus serve Christ this way, and they are acceptable to God and approved by men. The Spirit moves in us. He motivates us. He enables us not only to be at peace, but to pursue peace with others. I want to think about this for a moment. Look at verse nineteen. So then, let us, those members of the kingdom, pursue what makes for what peace and for mutual upbuilding. I plan to turn to some scripture passages for this, and our, our time. I don't know what has happened to the time. I got up here at ten thirty, so it's been forty minutes. I actually kept track today because I lose track sometimes. I don't know if you've noticed that. He's calling us to be those that pursue, follow after peace. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, he says, Let us, as much as lies within us, live peaceably with all men. In Matthew chapter 5 and verses 9 and following, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The people that demonstrate God's character are those that are peacemakers. They're, they're reaching out, not with live the way I live and think the way I think and do the way I do, but those that are offering the peace of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has shed his blood to make us that were at enmity with God come near by the blood of Christ. We're peacemakers, we're offering peace, not our peace, his peace. Take a look, please. We're going to turn to one passage, James chapter 3. Don't judge one another. Don't harm one another. We are members of the kingdom, and as members of the kingdom, we want to be channels of the fruitfulness, the benefits of the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't bring harm. It brings benefits. And one of those benefits is this peace that comes from God. We're in James chapter 3. Look at verses 17 and 18. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Listen carefully. And a harvest of righteousness is sown or scattered in peace by those who make peace. You get this picture of a person that has a bag of seeds. And they grab a handful and they're scattering it. Scattering the seeds. We're not talking about, you know, you get the little carrot seeds and they blow away when you're trying to put them in the, in the soil. So maybe grass seeds. You get this. put your hand in there and if you only put down a couple of seeds of grass seed, you're not going to get a lot of grass, right? So you dig your hand in there and you start really scattering it. A harvest of righteousness results... From those who take this seeds of peace and they're chucking them around. Scatter them. You don't have to worry about whether it's on good soil or thorny soil or rocky soil or hard soil. Just throw the seeds. Throw the seeds. What kind of seeds? Seeds of peace. The peace that God has given to you. You've experienced peace with Christ And you're offering peace with Christ. Dig into the bag and you're hurling it around. The kingdom brings forth peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're pursuing peace in Romans chapter 14. And instead, we get caught up in certain things that are kind of outside the bounds of God's directives. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What's at stake in all of this? Everyone's going to see it my way. Really? How about not? What about actually sowing seeds that result in peace with God? Because if someone's at peace with God, and I'm at peace with God, guess what? We, too, be at peace. Unless we're focused on non-important things. And then we are at odds. And then we're harming our brother. And we're harming God's work. Let's focus on the things that matter. Things that last. He says, pursue that which makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Well, we do that through... Focusing on on the truth in Ephesians 4, we speak the truth in love, and that builds one another up, right? In the book of Judges, he tells us to to spend time with our most holy faith. Well, let's again talking about scripture together, talking about what God has done, how he has freed us. And another way that we see that God brings forth peace among his people and upbuilding is in Ephesians chapter six. He talks about praying together. He talks about praying together in verse 18. The armor of God starts in verse 10. Everyone wants to stop at verse 17. But the armor of God goes right down to verse 20. And part of that armor of God is praying together. Praying together. I want to take a moment and encourage you to participate in our prayer meeting. I want to encourage you to see the value of of setting aside an hour and 15 minutes on a Wednesday night to come in to hear the truth and to pray with one another. In praying with one another, we're seeking to invest in the upbuilding of each other. As we pray, holding one another's needs before the Lord, as we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This passage in Romans chapter 14 is calling you, and it's calling me, to pursue peace and upbuilding. And one of the ways that we can do that is by gathering together, being nourished in the scriptures, sharing the scriptures with one another, and praying together. I want to really encourage you to, to do that and, to, and to, to, to find the value in that matter. He finishes this passage off by telling us to care for one another, back in Romans 14. We read it already, and I made reference. I'm just going to basically state a couple of statements as we conclude. Verses 20 through 23 um, basically restate the concept. Care about one another enough to push uh, to not push someone against their conscience. For if they were to do that, if they were to push against their conscience, even if their conscience is wrong about a matter. For them, they would be sinning. No one, listen carefully to this, no one is harmed by avoiding something that violates their conscience. No one is harmed by not doing something that would violate their conscience. It's only when a person blows through the red flags of their conscience that they could condemn themselves. That's what he says here. It's very interesting. Verse 23. Verse Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. He's condemning himself. And I, want to say, I want to give you some good news. This is a really tra- good transition for us to think about the Gospel. Thankfully, even if we condemn ourselves, that is not the final verdict. That is not the final verdict. For Jesus was condemned in our place. And then He was vindicated by His own righteousness. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about meat, and new movies, and music, and I just, I don't get what you're talking about. How does any of that have anything to do with hurting someone else? I don't understand. Well, maybe I I can understand why you feel that way. It's um, some of the less fun discussions. It's fine. But maybe that's a great conversation for another time for you. Maybe if you're sitting there thinking, what does this have to do with my life? I want to try to help you to understand, in our age, as in all others, people have very strong opinions about everything. There are whole movements going on for whatever special interests that they have. People are divided. They are divided about politics, economics, gender issues, racial issues you know we could join in one part of these crusades or another but none none of these crusades none of these special interests provide eternal solutions i want to point you to what does have an eternal solution god made you you like me we are sinners god loves his creation even with all of its constant division and chaos, God loves His creation. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live for us. And He did. And God sent His Son to die for us. And He did. He laid down His life as a once-for-all, perfect sacrifice for our sin. And God raised him from the dead, authenticating the reality that his life, death, and gift of eternal life were real. He was brought back to life, given life, resurrected, to authenticate that his sacrifice was sufficient to bear my sin to bear your sin, and to overcome them forever. God raised Him from the dead, giving uh, life to all who would believe in His name. God will provide eternal salvation for you if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ today. If you say, I see that I'm a sinner, I know you're a good God, I I feel uh, insufficient, I feel like I'm not going to make the grade, Jesus made the grade for you. He laid down His life to sacrifice for you. Call upon the name of the Lord and the Bible says you will be saved. That is an eternal solution. One person taken from, headed toward the lake of fire, eternal judgment, and placed into the kingdom of God. That's an eternal solution. And what do you do? Sow seeds of peace. And guess what? One other person... One other person might see their sin and see the provision of Jesus Christ and call upon the name of the Lord, and another person who's been taken from eternal death and placed into eternal life. Sow seeds of peace. There's real solutions. There's division all around us. Let there not be division among us. We don't want to harm one another. We want to grant one another the greatest privilege. Look toward Christ. He's everything. If you were to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you might not provide this world with a solution to end all the racial divide nor a correct understanding of gender, but you'll be another person that God has rescued eternally. And perhaps you'll tell someone else how much God loves his creation, and perhaps they too will be saved eternally. Can you see how this ripple impact could have an eternal solution for so many? You can't save everybody, but you can make an impact with the gospel today. What are you going to do today? Well, there's going to be this gathering and that gathering, or maybe you're going to be all by yourself. I don't know. If you are, uh, let me know. I'd be glad to try to encourage you. If you need someone to be with, um, you can hang out with my family whatever needs to be done. But you get all these things you're going to do today, sow seeds of peace wherever you go. Sow seeds of peace and see. See the, the, the impact of God's kingdom in a world that's so divided and broken. We have a good God. This passage is a little bit tricky, right? Talking about meat offered to idols or whatever other thing. There's, there's gospel truth in here. What are you living for? We have the opportunity to to cast seeds of peace that change people's lives forever. God changes people's lives forever. Let's pray together. Father, you know exactly what each person in here needs. We pray that we would commit ourselves to you and be vessels of yours. Help us to be committed to one another's benefit, benefits that come from you and never to one another's harm. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.